the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in that moment, he then begins to ascend into heaven. Those 120 people, their mouths drop like, whoa, what's going on? Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. What if God has left you here? What if your reason for existence today is so that you might have a forever impact for the kingdom of God? What if, what if God desires you to get to such a place of surrender that you would say, Lord, whatever it takes, Wherever I am, for your glory. One of my favorite stories about our community is the connection that we have with the great evangelist, Pastor Billy Graham. If you don't know that story, I didn't until I began to talk with the leaders of this church about becoming the pastor. And one of them took me just a couple of miles away, right on... Uh, the river, on, on River Hills Road, where there is a historical marker, a plaque that says this. Near here in 1937, world-recognized evangelist Billy Graham would paddle across the river to the Little Island. There he would practice his sermons on the creatures of the river, great and small, from alligators to birds. Dr. Graham, one of the 20th century's best-known spiritual leaders and advisors to 10 United States presidents, acknowledged that he was called to serve the ministry while living in this city. In his autobiography, Dr. Graham refers to Temple Terrace as the moonlight, the moss, the breeze, the green, and the golf course. And he says, in my spirit, I knew I'd been called to the ministry. Dr. Graham, Dr. Graham attended nearby Florida Bible Institute, it later became Trinity College of Florida in 1937. I hear that story and I just think, man, what can God do through one individual who is completely sold out to Him, who gives His life for the kingdom of God every day, wherever He is? And, and then I think about this community. And I begin to think, well, what could God do through one church made up of a lot of people who are completely, wholeheartedly sold out for God's kingdom and for His kingdom mission? So here's my question. What if God wants to do that through you? 
What if this church, what if Mission Hill Church is the church that He wants to use? Are you willing to be a part of that process? What if God wants to manifest His kingdom through us? To manifest means to to visibly demonstrate. To show His power. To illustrate for all to see that God is who He says He is. I believe that's what He wants to do. So I'm going to show you that in Scripture. Take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Acts chapter 28. The 28th chapter of Acts. It's the end of the book of Acts. Now let me remind you how the book of Acts began. Jesus had gathered with about 120 of his followers. Don't forget that. Because he, he impacted a lot of people along the way during his three years of ministry. We know on several occasions he preached to thousands. He fed thousands. But after his life, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, they were willing to come around him and follow him. So Jesus was gathering with them. He looked into their eyes like I'm looking at yours. And this is what he said. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in that moment, he then begins to ascend into heaven. Those 120 people, their mouths drop like, whoa, what's going on? And then... The mission began. Those people, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, began to tell other people about the kingdom of God. And the church was born. But we're going to read from the end of the book of Acts. After years of transformation. Here's the reality. All of us will come to an end. You understand that, right? This life ends. And so there will be a, a day where, where people gather for each of us, big or small, and, and they'll remember our lives. Have you ever thought about what you want them to say? What are the three or four things that you wish that they would say in that moment? Those things are the things that are most important to you, by the way. I was with a group of pastors and their wives this week, and I reminded them that most of us are not nearly as important as we think we are. In fact, we think about that moment when the end will come and the nice things that will be said and how they'll be celebrating our life. And I told them, here's how it's going to look for me. There'll be a service, and after the service, some of my family and friends will gather in the church gym and they'll have a meal together and somebody will turn to the person next to them and they'll kind of elbow them and they'll say, boy, wasn't Pastor Paul such a great guy? And he'll say, yeah, can you hand me that fried chicken and some of the okra over there? But we'll all come to an end. At the end of the book of Acts, we see what's really important. Last chapter is both an end and a beginning. It's the end of the account of the early church. Paul's been on three missionary journeys. But it's the beginning of the church that you and I are a part of. Those outside of the pages of Scripture who have carried the torch, 
who've been passed the baton. It's our response to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. It's our generation of Christ followers. It's Acts 29. You and me. The next chapter. The words we're about to read were penned by the Apostle Paul while he's under house arrest in a place called Rome. And here in Rome, under house arrest with a Roman guard nearby, he tells us we see what's most important to him. It's from Rome that Paul would write a letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He would write First and Second Timothy. It's from Rome that he would write a book of the Bible that we call Titus to another young man. It's from Rome that he would write to some of the churches that he planted, like the church at Philippi. And he would remind them that though he's in prison, that's not going to stop God from doing what God wants to do. In fact, listen to what it says in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this has happened to me actually to serve to advance the gospel. And as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. The three days later, it says in the book of Acts, Paul would begin to call together the leaders of the church. I, I want to challenge you today, church, to understand what's taking place here in Paul's life. He's saying that the discomfort that I go through in a temporary way, it's not going to prevent the gospel from going forward. If you look at the external circumstances, you would assume that Paul's miserable. But the reality is, he's going to tell that church in Philippians in Philippi that he's learned to be content in all situations. So I want you to look at where that three days later statement comes from. Acts chapter 28, beginning in verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I've done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. And they examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. And the Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I've asked to see you and talk with you. And it's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. Now, I'm going to stop there because Israel's in the news. What in the world is he talking about the hope of Israel? He's not talking about the nation of Israel today. That's not what he's talking about. In fact, this was a phrase that was used in the church. The hope of Israel. What was the hope of Israel? Let me tell you what it was not. He was not talking about more education that they needed. He was not talking about more legislation that they needed. He was not talking about who would be the president of Israel. He was not talking about who would be the governor of a state of Israel. He was not talking about who would be a mayor of a city in Israel. He was not saying those things are the most important things. He was talking about the hope of Israel, Jesus the Christ, King Jesus. So it says in verse 21, they replied, 
We've not received any letters from Judea concerning you. None of our people who've come there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are. For we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day. And they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. And so they disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to you and our ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will ever be hearing, but never understand. You will ever be seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May God add his blessing to the reading of his perfect word. I want to ask you a question today. Could that last phrase, the phrase given to the Apostle Paul, could that be said of you? Could you put your name in this statement? For me, it would be like this. Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Could you say that? That's the desire. That's what we want to be as individuals who follow Jesus Christ. That's who we want to be as a church. How did that happen? Well, Paul clearly created an environment in his home where people wanted to come and hear what he had to say. About Jesus Christ. Sometimes you wonder why we do the way things the way we do as a church. It's because we want to have that environment in the church. We want people to feel drawn here. To feel welcomed here. So that they can learn what it means to be a part of God's kingdom. And to follow Jesus Christ. What you could say is that Paul was living out the kingdom of God. Right where he was. Every day. Are you doing that? You see, for most of us, we've got things really messed up. We think that it's only what happens in buildings like these when we come together and we're called the church that we make a difference. But what Scripture teaches is that God wants us to be on mission for Him right where we are every day. The old gospel preachers would say it like this. It doesn't matter if you're a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. Whatever you do, engineer, first responder, teacher, doctor, attorney, housekeeper, whatever you do, you do it for the glory of God on mission for His kingdom. So what is the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God? Jesus talked about it this way. Sometimes He would say, we're not yet there. Sometimes he would say it's already begun. For example, when he taught us to pray, what did he teach us? Pray this week, this way. Lord, your kingdom come in me. 
When he taught us to prioritize our life, what did he teach us to, to do? He said, seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and everything else will be added to you. Tony Evans, the great preacher, describes God's kingdom this way. He says it's the visible demonstration of the comprehensive rule of God in every area of your life. The visible demonstration. You know what that is? It's the manifest presence of the kingdom. God wants His kingdom to be manifested in your life. That's what Paul was doing. When the book of Acts ends by saying that he was proclaiming the kingdom every day for two years, he was manifesting the kingdom of God. Would you be willing to do that? That's really all I'm asking you today. Are you willing to determine to live your life, surrender to the rule of the king in every way, every day? Did you hear that? Are you willing to determine to live your life, surrender to the rule of the king? In every way, every day. Well, what happened because of Paul's willingness, because of his determination? It's kind of an interesting thing. The Bible says that people just began to come to him. And for two whole years, he just stayed home. He wasn't in the church. He wasn't preaching a crusade. But right where he was, he manifested the kingdom of God. And it's like the preachers used to say, when you burn with passion for the things of God, people will be drawn to you because they just want to watch you burn. And they were watching Paul burn and they wanted to hear more. And so one after one, they came to his house. Notice what it says in verse 23. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day. They came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning to evening, explaining the kingdom of God. From the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Now, what does that phrase mean? From the law and the prophets, he persuaded them. Well, what was their Bible? To the Jewish, to the Jewish people, what was the Bible that they had? It was our Old Testament. It was the law and the prophets. So he took what they know and he showed them the kingdom of God. He showed them the presence of Jesus in the midst of it. We don't know exactly what he said. But let's just assume what he might have done. He might have took them to the very beginning of the book. And he might have said, did you notice in the beginning when it said, we? You see this Jesus that you crucified? He was there at creation. And there at creation, he decided he wanted relationship with mankind. So the Bible says that God breathed into the dust and he created a man. But he wanted that man to have a fulfilled life and he realized that he was missing something. So God performed a surgery on that first man, Adam, and he took from his rib and, and he created a woman. And, and so when Adam woke up from the surgery, when the anesthesia wore off, he said, whoa, man, this is good stuff. And it got better because there they were naked in the Garden of Eden. And God said, hey, go be fruitful and multiply. Amen. But then there was one thing that God said, don't do. And Adam and Eve did it. They sinned against God. 
Then I can imagine the Apostle Paul saying, you know that verse in Genesis at the beginning of the book in chapter 3 and verse 14 that says, So the Lord God said to his serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you among all livestock and all the wild animals, and you'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life, and I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and herds, and he will crush your head and you head, and you will strike his heel. And then I can imagine Paul said, who do you think that's talking about? That was the hope of Israel. That was Jesus the Christ. And when he said it was finished, he was striking the hill of the enemy. But I bet he didn't stop there on that story. I bet he said, but remember what happened after the sinfulness. How Adam and Eve were naked and the Bible says they were ashamed. So what did the holy God do? The holy God, he killed an animal and he took from that animal the skins and he covered Adam and Eve. And he then probably said, and that was just a picture of what God did on the cross through Jesus Christ. Because through the shed blood of Jesus, he covered us of our sins. Imagine that might be how he started. That's not where he stopped. Because then he could have gone to Abraham. And he said, remember the story of Abraham? How Abraham wanted a child? And finally God answered in prayers, I'm not just going to give you a child, you're going to be the father of the nations. And God made a covenant with him. And then in old age, God gave Sarah and Abraham a child. And they named that firstborn child, what you could call that one and only child, or the only begotten child. They named him Isaac. And one day, God told him to take that only begotten son and go sacrifice him. In obedience, do you remember how Abraham did that? And he, he took, and imagine how that conversation must have been as they were going up that mountain. Dad, what are we doing? Well, it'll be all right, son. Well, where are we going? Just hang tight, son. Imagine how Isaac must have thought when he laid him out on the altar. And as Abraham began to take that knife into his hand. And how Isaac must have said, Dad, where's the lamb? And how Abraham must have said, oh, God will provide the lamb. And then... Remember that old ram in the thicket? And how Abraham said, God had provided. And he took that lamb and he, he shed the blood of that lamb instead of the blood of his son on that sacrifice. And then Paul might have said, hey, you know who that spotless lamb was? That's pointing you to Jesus. But he didn't stop there. He could have then gone on to Moses. And he said, you remember when Moses stood before that burning bush and there at that holy place on that holy land, he received that call from God. And now God challenged Moses to go to, to, to Egypt and to tell the Pharaoh, let my people go. And how he did that in spite of his inadequacies and in, in spite of his fears and how God used those ten plagues. And then Paul may have reminded about the ten plagues and said, do you remember that tenth plague? Do you remember how... God told Moses to tell the people to go get a, a spotless lamb and to take the blood of that lamb and to put it on the doorpost and to cover that doorpost so that the angel of death might pass over. I'm sure they were just sitting there nodding. Yeah, we remember that. He says that was the hope of Israel it's talking about. Because, Jesus, church, are you out there? Jesus is the spotless lamb. 
That's what he's trying to say. That's what he's communicating as he's going through and he's going through. But then he might have gone on to Moses and said, but Moses didn't stop there. As Moses was leading people to the promised land, they were wandering around the wilderness. So God sent him up on the mountain of Sinai so that he might get the Ten Commandments. But while he was up getting the Ten Commandments, the people were down in the valley breaking the Ten Commandments. So even though Moses came down with the commandments, the commandments weren't so that they could be right with God. The commandments were so that they would see they could never be right with God on their own. And so in Leviticus, he probably went on and said, that's why they created the sacrificial system. And that sacrificial system is, is what God used to help his people be right with him in spite of their lawlessness. He probably told them, hey, you remember the Day of Atonement? How the high priest on the Day of Atonement would go and he would get two goats or lamb and, and one of those he would take and sacrifice and, and he would have a ceremony where he was saying he's taking the sins of the people and transferring those sins onto the head of the lamb or the goat. And then he would take that sacrifice, lamb or goat, and he would take it way outside of the city and he would separate it from the people. Listen, as far as the east is from the west. And then he would go and he would take that other lamb or goat and he would sacrifice that lamb and he would take the blood from that lamb and go into the holiest of places, the holy of holies, and he would take the blood from that sacrifice. And you know what he'd do? He would, he would sprinkle that over that Ten Commandments just to be reminding that only the blood of the sacrificial lamb can cover lawbreakers. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.